Well, good morning. It's been a uh, pleasure to worship with you this morning. I hope, uh, I hope you have gotten something out of it. I'm glad for us to be together. I'm, uh, I'm really excited that our brother Tellus has come back home. Uh, such a treat to, to see him this morning um, coming in the door. And uh, just uh, we're so glad to, to see you back. Uh, we got a new baby uh, in our family, we have a new family that's joined our church. We got some good things going on, do we not? Yeah, that's good stuff. Got a lot of stuff to be excited about, and I hope that uh, I hope that you're excited about it. Today, we're beginning our new series that is called Real. And as was pointed out, there's postcards uh, all over the building. Uh, please take several with you. Please pass these out to your friends. Give them to somebody. Use it as an invite. It's got our return address. If you want to mail it to somebody, you can do that. Uh, just send it to someone. Invite them. This series is going to run through, uh, through February and March. It'll wrap up uh, at the end of March. And uh, we just want to encourage everybody, if you can drop some of these off somewhere uh, or you want to give some to your neighbors or whatever, there are plenty of them. They're on the back table. Uh, they're on this table. They're in the foyer in several locations. You can find them, and so uh, please take those and pass them out. Well, if you're visiting with us, we sure appreciate your presence. You could have been somewhere else today, but you're here, and we're honored, and uh, you are uh, our honored guest, and we appreciate that so very much. Now, uh, if you have not been here, uh, we ended a series last week that was called Seeing as God Sees, and we looked at the life of Ezra, Ezra the priest who loved God's Word, and he determined to store the Word of God in his heart, but he didn't just stop there, he committed himself to putting it into practice in his life, and then to teaching it to the people that he came in contact with. And so we spent three weeks talking about those things, that if we're going to be the people of God, and if we are going to be people who see as God sees, then we need to do those very things. We need to spend time in the book that tells us about God, that tells us about Jesus. And so we talked about taking the Word in. And then we had the tornado. Remember that day? That was fun. That was fun, and we just, you know, we had to cancel worship service. But last week, I combined three, uh, two weeks' worth into one sermon. And that second sermon was about not just taking the Word in, but putting it into practice in our lives. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to hear the Word, but it's another thing to actually follow through with it. And we said if we're going to see as God sees, we have to do that. Okay? And then at the end of last week, we talked about that third item, which is sending it out. And we said that not everybody has to, to preach, not everybody has to teach, but the main way, and, and maybe, maybe the most impactful way, and, and this is really going to flow really into what we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks, the main way to send out the Word is by the way we live our lives, our, our conduct. You know, we looked at 1 Timothy uh, and, and the advice that, that Paul gave to him as an example, as he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers. 
you know, in your speech, in your life, in your, your faith, in your conduct, in your purity, in all of those things. Set an example. And that's how we can go about doing this. That's the practical ways that we send out the word. And so we talked about those things. Learning to see as God sees. And now as we begin this new series today, it is time for us to think about being real. To think about what it means to be an authentic Christian. And as you see on the screens behind me, and that's what the postcards say, real. And we're going to talk about all of those things. Today is just simply the title message, real. And then next week, we're going to talk about what it means to have real honesty. We're going to look at what it means to be real in our faith. We're going to talk about real control, and that one's the doozy. Because that's the one that gets all of us in trouble. And that's that little thing that resides right behind our teeth. You know, that's our tongues. You know, our mouths get us into so much trouble. And so we're going to talk about what it means to have real control over our tongues. Okay? We're going to talk about what it means to have real wisdom and real heart. We're going to talk about what real prayer is about. And then finally, on that last Sunday, I want to think it's something like uh, March 26th. Tim is going to land the plane on the series as he's going to talk about real concern as we close this down. I'm going to be out of town for, for school, but Tim is going to, to bring this series to a close. And so this is what we're going to be talking about over the next eight weeks. And so as you hand out the card, you know, you can say, hey, look, this is what it is. And you can say week by week, this is what we're, these are the things that we're going to be discussing. And you can, you can share that with your, with your friends and with your neighbors. But... To be real means that we are going to show people that not only do we believe what we say, but we actually do what we say. Does, does that make sense? That if we're going to be followers of Christ, that we need to be doing the things we say we believe. Are you with me? Yeah, that's what we need to be doing. And that's what, that's what this is about. It's about being Real. Uh, the definition for real, is, and, and there it is right there. It means actually existing as a thing or occurring in a fact, not imagined or supposed. And that's a good definition. But the one that we're primarily going to focus on is the second one. That real, it's, it's uh, of a substance or a thing. It's not imitation or artificial, but it's genuine. And that's what we want our faith to be, is it not? Yes or no? Yeah, we want to have a genuine faith. We want our faith to be real. We want it to be authentic. And you know, that's a, that's a rare quality, it seems like, as we, encounter, as we encounter different people. Now, what this does not mean to have real faith, what it does not mean is you don't have to be perfect. Okay, And it doesn't mean that you won't fail. As a matter of fact, if you are trying to be perfect, if you're trying to live your life in such a way or prop yourself up or present yourself in such a way that life just looks like all candy and roses, trying to have that perfect image, then guess what? You're not being real. Because we know, we know that you're broken just like you know that we're broken. Okay, because we live in a messed up world, do we not? 
We absolutely do. And come on, say it with me. We all got stuff going on in our lives, do we not? We all got something going on, okay? Nobody is perfect, okay? And so if that is you, if you feel like you have to prop yourself up with this perfect existence, I want you to let yourself off the hook right now, okay? Let yourself off the hook of perfectionism because it's never going to happen on your own, okay? It's about becoming more than a conqueror through Jesus, okay? It's about being real. Now then, it does mean we're going to fail at times, okay? Now then, the real way to handle failure, because sometimes we are going to slip up and we're going to say things that we shouldn't say, and we're going to do things that we shouldn't do, and it doesn't mean that we, you know, we act like we're great and got it all together. It means that we handle things God's way, It means that we own up to the mistakes that we make. It means that if we've hurt somebody, we go to that person and we ask for forgiveness. It means we extend forgiveness. It means we have to make apologies. It means that that we have to reconcile when reconciliation is needed. It means that we have to act with, with honesty and integrity. You know, there are, are so many companies, uh, so many products that, that say that what they have to offer is real, that they're the real deal, they're the, the genuine article. Diets, politicians, all of these things make promises. Now then, some of them I think are genuine, but we also know that, that talk is cheap. You know, we realize that the promises that some things or some people make are, are empty. You know, that, 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 that's, that's hurtful to us. I remember the first time I realized that, that advertising is not always accurate. I was a kid, and there was this uh, new toy that came out. It was called a pogo ball. Does anybody remember a pogo ball? All right, basically, uh, Mac does. Mac probably had one. A pogo ball basically was a, you know, a round rubber ball, and it had this disc on the outside of it so that when you looked at it, it looked kind of like Saturn. And you stood balanced on that ball. You know what I'm talking about? And you bounced all over the place. Now, the commercials, man, they showed you like bouncing all over the place, like jumping over cars and leapfrogging your friends, and it was great jumping over the creek, and I had these grand plans about this pogo ball. And so I asked for one for Christmas, and I broke that thing out, and I'm ready to jump over my brothers, and I jumped and smacked right into him. They lied to me. Okay? They presented a a false information. I thought I was going to be able to, to just be able to just jump these great leaps and bounds. But it turned out that what they were saying didn't match what they were selling. Oh, does that make sense? They weren't real. It wasn't genuine, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't honest. When that happens, you know, it, it, it leaves us skeptical. Okay, it leaves us not willing to trust things or products or, or, or people. And that's, that's bad. But I think what's maybe worse is when Christians do things like that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, we say say Jesus is the answer. 
We say that uh, just believe in God. We invite people to come to church with us. You know, and there are, are many people that make great claims, and those are great claims. You know, Jesus is Lord is probably the greatest claim a person can make in their life. But the problem is, is that a lot of people, they make all of these great claims about Jesus and God and His church, and then they turn around and they discredit those claims by the way that they live their life. Does that make sense? I want to share uh, an article with you that captures this perfectly. It's written by a guy named uh, Trey Morgan, and the title of it is They Curse, Cheat, Sleep Around, Get Drunk, and Then Invite Me to Church. I have a friend that's not a Christian, but she's very curious about my faith my beliefs in Christianity. She didn't grow up in any religion or church and knows very little about the Bible. She often asks me questions about Christianity that are very simple, honest, and sometimes downright painful. Sometimes her questions are very childlike, such as, does it bother God when I curse? And why is it wrong for me to hate someone? But it was her last question that she asked that really set me back on my heels. She was totally serious when she asked. Why is it that the Christians at my workplace can be dishonest? Sleep with someone in the office that's not their spouse. Ask me to get drunk with them at a party on Saturday and then invite me to go to church with them on Sunday morning. Sometimes something about all that doesn't seem to be right. Honestly, I was floored. Her simple yet serious question was a slap in the face to the lifestyle of Christianity that Jesus taught and wants me to live. Her question was 100% serious. She wasn't trying to, to bash what I believe or rub my nose in professing Christians' inconsistencies. She just didn't understand it and wanted to know. None of it made sense to her. And honestly, none of it makes sense to me either. I did my best to answer her, but it frustrated me knowing that all my words won't have near the impact on her that her co-workers' actions will. That's a damning article, is it not? But it's real, just in a different sense. I think we do more harm than good when we claim to profess Jesus and claim to follow Him, and then go out and demonstrate with our lives that we really don't believe what we say. Does that make sense? That's why I say so many times, and I know it's harsh, but I believe it, but that's why I say so many times, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then, then act like one. But on the other side of that coin, if you're going to call yourself a Christian and then not act like one, please stop telling people that. Because it's that right there, claim to profess Christ, and then go out and don't profess Christ. It's that right there that does more damage than good. It's that right there that people look and say, why would I want anything to do with somebody who calls himself a Christian? Because all they do is lie and cheat and steal, just like the rest of us. But maybe at least the rest of us have some integrity about it. You know what I'm saying? That's not, it's not 
real. As we get into the book of James, I think he is showing us what it means to have a genuine, real, authentic faith. You see, as followers of Christ, we must be real. Are you with me? Say that with me. As followers of Christ, we must be real. One more time. As followers of Christ, we must be real. James. James is going to help show us the way. So in James chapter 1, he opens up and, and right in the first phrase of his letter, of his book, we see the authenticity of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Right off the bat, James has loaded us up with honesty. Okay? In the, the way that he has greeted these people, in the way that he has opened up this letter. You see, James is a guy that very easily could have pulled rank as he's writing this letter so that, that people would pay attention to him. He very easily could have said, this is James the Just, because that's one of the nicknames that he was known by. He was wise and he was a, a just man. And so that would make people pay attention to him and they would turn to him for that kind of, of counsel and, and leadership. He could have said, this is James, the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now then, that's not just any church. That is the church. That's the mother church. He became the leader of the very first church. Okay? He became the leader of the home base of all churches on earth. Okay? And so he easily could have said that, hey, I'm the leader of the church. Listen to what I have to say. He could have said, this is James from the sacred womb of Mary. Now then, this isn't James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, we're talking about. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And he very easily could have said, this is James, I am Jesus' brother. Okay, if you listen to Jesus, you thought he had some good things to say. Well, I've got some pretty good things to say because he was my brother. Let me tell you about him. But he didn't do that. Instead, he humbly refers to himself as a, as a servant. The, the, the actual word there is slave. I'm a slave of God and of, and of Jesus Christ. Did you know that James actually was not a believer during Jesus' ministry? John 7 says that he didn't believe. Okay, and we don't find out that he became a believer until Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 15, you get down there in the middle of it, and it says that, that Jesus appeared to James. And he goes on and he becomes a leader. He becomes a great man of faith so much that he becomes the leader of this church in Jerusalem. He actually had one other nickname. It's not really flattering. 
but they called him Old Camel Knees. You like that? Would you like that to be your nickname? Old Camel Knees. Why on earth would you call somebody that? Well, it's because his knees were thick and calloused. Because like a camel, he spent a lot of time kneeling on his knees in prayer. And so prayer was such a part of his life that his knees were just thick and calloused and ugly. And so people said, man, your knees look like a camel. We're going to call you old camel knees. Okay, that's who you are. Not James, the brother of the Lord. You're James, old camel knees. Okay, but it's a badge of honor because it means that James was spending so much time in prayer that he's literally wearing out his knees. And so right off the bat, what we see is that James is real. He is authentic. You see, if we present ourselves as something we're not, or if we present ourselves as above what we actually are, that's not real. The way James has presented himself in, in humility is real. And I think we can learn something from his, from his example. But he goes on in verse 2, and he says this, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Doesn't that sound awesome? No. Wait, you want me to consider the trials that I'm having nothing but, but joy? You know, I, I appreciate the, the guys that have been up here so far because uh, all three of them have made mention about trials and about real and about things that we've gone through that even during those times we have to say, blessed be your name. Okay, James writes, and he says, when you face all kind of trials, consider it joy. Some, your, your version might say pure joy. We think, what on earth is he, is he talking about? Well, the first couple of things. Number one, he doesn't say if you face trials. He says when you face trials. Because as we've already said, we know this is a broken world, right? We know this is a broken world, and we are going to face trials. Some of you are facing trials right now. You've got things that are going on in your personal life. Okay, Satan is just attacking you on these different fronts. Others of you, you're dealing with stuff at your job, or it might be a co-worker that is giving you problems. There may be things that are going on within your marriage or within your family. Okay, You might be getting ready to lose your job and your income, and maybe that means your house and all of these other things, but... Sooner or later, if you're not going through something now, you will eventually go through something if you keep living and the world keeps spinning. Am I right? The world is broken, right? And we're not the only ones that know that. Unbelievers know the world is broken. And so James writes and he says, whenever you face trials, consider it joy. Now then, that doesn't mean be happy about those things. It's like, woohoo, divorce. You know, that's not, what, that's not what that's talking about. Mm, eviction notice. Love it. Thank you, God. You know, that's not what it's talking about. But what he is saying when he says consider it joy, that we're to take those trials and we are to evaluate them in light of what Jesus has done for us. Evaluate them in light of 
what lays before us. Knowing that what we face here on earth, while it may, while it may stink, there is something that is better. It's the one that we've been redeemed by Jesus. Two, that where we live, this is temporary. And that if we live for Jesus and we've given our life to Jesus, we know that there is something better that is waiting on us. And we, we find that in the resurrection. We find that in the, the new creation of which we dwell and live and, and participate, that in, participate in. And so when he says, consider it pure joy, he's to evaluate whatever it is that is going on in your life. Evaluate those things in the light of what Jesus has done. Not to, not to devalue what you're going through, but to appreciate more that there is something better than the present sufferings that, that we deal with in this life. And it's funny how God works in, in those things. He goes on to say this in verse 3. You know, here's, here's why we consider it joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now isn't, or shouldn't that be the goal of all Christ followers? That we mature in our faith? Yeah, I mean that absolutely is it. That should be our goal, that we want to grow in our faith. We want to move on from the, from the, the spiritual milk to the, the spiritual solid food. You know, we want to progress in our faith. And it's, this is how God works. Now I don't think He causes all the bad stuff that goes on in our lives but what i do think is that god works through those bad things that happen in our life okay have you noticed how god if you will allow him to and if you'll be trusting in him that god will refine you and he'll shape you and you know what that does that leads to endurance endurance leads to maturity and completion so that we lack nothing you know what that really means that means our faith becomes real it becomes it becomes genuine and that's how god works he can work in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our suffering you know and that's the that's the absurdity of the upside down kingdom of god that he can take something bad or a trial or something that's happened in our lives and he can use it for his glory and shape you and mature you and grow you in the process. I don't think God killed my brothers, but I think he's worked in the midst of those losses and is still working in the midst of that loss. That's the why the, the slogan, our theme for Brothers Three Ministries is God can turn tragedy into victory. But it's a process. And I don't always understand it. And it requires trusting. But I know that during those times over the last 15 years of my life, I can look back and I can see how God is using 
those things. And He's brought maturity. He's brought shaping through those trials. Now then, it's not over with. It's not done because I'm still here. And I'm still growing and there's things that I still don't understand. But God still works. And He does the same for us in the midst of our trials. And so we can count it joy that, yeah, okay, I'm going to go through something, but you know what? God is going to bring me through something, and I'm going to be different on the other side of that. I can have growth. I can have more reliance on Him. Now then, he kind of changes up in, in verse 5. He says, If any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. Now then, let's be honest. Who couldn't use a little bit more wisdom? Right? I mean, really, who couldn't use a little more wisdom? I need all the wisdom I can get, okay? I'm the dad of Miles Bennett, all right? I need all the help, all the wisdom that can come my way. And so James says, if you need wisdom, go and ask God, okay? God is just going to, you know, he's just going to barrel it out for you, okay? And he's not going to do it grudgingly. It's not like you're going to, Go to God and say, oh, God, boy, I need some, I need some wisdom. And God's going to say, yeah, yeah, you do need some wisdom. <laughs> I've seen the choices you've been making. Yes, you could use some wisdom. Okay, it's, that's, that's not how God works. But if we will go and we will ask in faith, God who gives generously will load that wisdom down on us. And man, do we not need wisdom to endure trials and count it joy? See how those things are connected? But there's a catch in verse 6. But ask in what? Say it. Faith. Ask in faith, never doubting. You ever asked for something and doubted that you were going to get it? That's no fun, is it? Okay? Ask in faith. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Okay? If you need wisdom in your life, you're like, oh God, will you please give me wisdom? And you don't really believe He's going to give it to you? Guess what? <laughs> you're not going to get it. Okay? Doubters need not apply. Okay? If you need wisdom, ask God and trust that He is going to give it to you. Now then, I doubt it. I mean, this might happen. I mean, it might not be like all of a sudden you're going to have one of those light bulb moments. It could, but it might be that that wisdom comes in that you begin to see things a little differently. Or it might come in the form of somebody else coming to you and say, hey, you know, I've been thinking about what you've asked me about or what you've been dealing with, and sort of this was my thoughts on it. And it's amazing how when we just trust God to lead us and provide for us that He does, and often in ways that we don't understand, and so he says, ask, but ask in faith. And then he shifts gears again in verse 9 when he says, let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and, and the rich being brought low because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field for the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the field, its flowers and its beauty perishes. In the same way with the rich, in the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. And I think 
I think what James is saying right there is don't get above yourself. You know, everything that you've got is all going to go away. You're not going to take it with you. Don't get so wrapped up in those things that that becomes your identity. Remain humble in what you have and who you are. And then finally, in verse 12, brings all of this back around and, and it answers the question of how we, can, how we can welcome trials. Because that sounds absurd, does it not? You want to know how you can welcome trials? Well, here's the answer in verse 12 right here. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love Him. That's how we can welcome trials. Blessed is the one who endures. He says, the one who has stood the test. Another one, in other words, the one who has, you've been through something, but you've trusted in God to lead you through it. You've asked God for wisdom, and you've asked in faith. God has given you wisdom, but also He has allowed you to endure. And in that endurance, your faith has begun to mature and com grow up into completion. And that's what it means. It doesn't mean like you're at the end of your faith, but it means it's growing up into completion and, and into maturity so that the one who has done all of that stuff, you know what they receive? The crown of life. That is promised promised from Jesus to those who love him and that's that's how we can welcome trials not that we want to suffer but we know that there is something better that we have the crown of life from Jesus Christ and we know this world is not our home. But while we are here, while we'll still suffer and have problems, we continue to allow God to grow us in our faith. We grow into that what you, that Eastern Orthodox Church calls theosis, where you are becoming more like God. And that's sort of the main goal of, of being a Christian. It's not just getting to heaven. It's becoming more like God. And showing others that my faith is genuine and it is real. That's, that's, how, that's how we can do this. And so it leads me to just ask a few questions. How are you holding up under pressure? How are you holding up under trials that you may be in, experiencing in your life? Are you trusting in God or are you compromising in things? Are you turning to Jesus for your strength or are you relying on your own understanding? Okay, remember, it's about becoming more than a conqueror, not through ourselves, but through Him who loved us. Okay, that's why Paul would write in, in Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things. That doesn't mean, yes, I can get the job and I can, God will let me have this new car and I can lift this weight in the name of Jesus. That's not what that's talking about. 
It's talking about the trials and the temptations and the struggles of life. Paul says, I can do any of that stuff through Christ Jesus who loves me. We have that, we have that, that, same, we have that same promise. Have you hurt your witness because of your actions? Do you need a, a, a restart? Well, here's the point. Here's the, the, the bottom line of today's message. And it's simply this. Persevere under fire. When you do, you grow. You mature. Your faith deepens. And you become real. This is what, this is what James is telling us. That when we endure these things and we trust in God, maturity, growth happens. But we have to trust in Him to lead us. Last week, I called on every believer in this church to influence someone for Christ in 2017. The only way for that to happen is for us to be real and genuine and authentic in our faith. This is what he calls us to. So have you blown have you blown it? If you have come back to Jesus, have you hurt your witness because of your your actions? Come back to Jesus and then go back and try to make those things right as best you can. Are you experiencing trials but you're trying to do it yourself and trying to deal with it by yourself? Guess what? You're never going to survive that. You've got to have something greater on your side. Turn to Jesus. Let Him lead you through that. And He'll give you something greater in the end. He'll call you through it. He'll give you the crown of life. But if you're struggling with something, don't go away carrying it. Okay? If there's something that you need to talk about, you need to pray about, then tell us so that we can help you with that. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to do that, confess Jesus and we'll help you with that. But whatever it is, don't put up a facade anymore that says, I'm one way on the outside, but on the inside I'm really living a different way. I'm really living a different life. i got secrets and i got dark things that are going on that nobody else knows about. Be real. If we can help you, if we can pray for you in any way whatsoever, Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?